Scripture readings for this morning. First, our Old Testament scripture comes from the prophecy of Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old man shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then our New Testament and our sermon passage comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is this that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia. Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Cedar Springs. Good, good to be with you this morning. I uh, read a book a little while ago by a Christian minister, and she was a uh, professor at a, at a college, and she had been teaching a course on world religions uh, for about 20 years. And the book was about everything that she'd learned uh, by interviewing priests and rabbis and taking field trips and reading sacred texts and it was just a very warm, charitable, hospitable uh, a book about loving neighbors and learning from others. And she drew a lot from the wisdoms of, uh, of all the great religions. But she, she really didn't have much to say at all about uh, evangelism, um, about sharing our faith, about talking to others about Jesus and the difference he makes in our life. Um, the, 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 the great, grand, beautiful adventure he invites us into. And the few times that she did talk about evangelism, usually it was a, a, an uneducated, insensitive Christian who rudely and insensitively hurt someone's feelings. And the book was just exquisitely written, and I enjoyed reading it. But at the end, I thought, you know, this is where many in the church are now when it comes to sharing our faith, to witnessing, to evangelism. We've, I think many of us feel that it's just kind of rude. Um, it's insensitive. We, we really shouldn't do that. The better thing is to respect. And of course, the, the answer is both and. Respect and witness. And one of the things that we're learning in the book of Acts is that 
one of, if not the primary purpose of the church is to witness. And the story of Pentecost is filled with many themes, but, but at the heart of it is the gift of the Spirit to empower us to witness. And that's going to come up many times in the book. Um, here's just a couple of examples. Uh, in Acts 4-7, Peter is filled with the Spirit as he witnesses to religious authorities. Acts 4.31, the Jerusalem church is filled with the Spirit, and they speak the Word of God with boldness. Acts 6.10, Stephen explains witnesses to the religious authorities who could not withstand the wisdom and the Spirit with which he spoke. Acts 8.29, The Holy Spirit guides Philip to to the first foreigner that hears the gospel in the book of Acts to witness. Uh, Acts 9.31, the church grows through witnessing, through the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Acts 11.24, Barnabas is sent out as an evangelist because he was full of the Holy Spirit. So this really is one of the, the main purposes of our lives, of the church. It's one of the main themes of the book of Acts. God gives the Spirit to us so that we can witness. Now, as Andrew pointed out uh, when he opened us up today, God's people have always been on mission. Witnessing is not a new idea in the new covenant. God tells Abraham in Genesis 12, he will bless the whole world through Abraham's family. But the, the way the people of God do the mission dramatically shifts between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, the neighbors of the people of God come to them. Uh, Jeremiah 16, 19. O Lord, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth. Now remember, that's all the history of the Old Covenant. Come to Jerusalem, come to Jerusalem, come to Jerusalem. Now it's all going to shift. Jesus shifts the whole strategy as he prepares them for the Spirit. In the new covenant, the people go to their neighbors. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So part of what we need to understand when we, we look at the disciples at this moment, just prior to Pentecost, is their whole paradigm of what it means to be a faithful follower of God is is being shifted, and they're being thrust out into a world that seems very daunting to them. Let's just think about it for a moment. In the Greco-Roman world, people worship many gods. Temples dotted the hills of every city. Slaves worshiped different gods than the masters worshiped. There were city gods, national gods, regional gods. The social calendar of the city revolved around festivals honoring local gods. Uh, Households had their own altars. Entire economies were built around the temple sacrificial system. The local gods ruled over the village and its property. In all of this diversity, dozens of gods uh, was held together by this sort of thin uh, thread of uh, tolerance. And so Jesus sends the early Christians into this God and goddess-soaked world to proclaim that salvation is exclusively linked to Jesus Christ, a Jewish rabbi from Galilee, the Son of God. What a daunting 
task and it put them at odds with the culture itself, with the local trade guilds, with the religious leaders, municipal and state officials. And, and when you go out proclaiming things in Caesar's empire, like the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, Christ is Lord of all, those were deeply subversive uh, sayings. So my point is this, the early Christians would have felt terrified of witnessing in their culture. They would have felt overwhelmed. They would have felt like nobody would ever listen. They probably feel like you and I feel when we think about witnessing. And so Jesus says, wait for my spirit. This task is so big, uh, you're not going to be able to do it without my spirit. So how does the spirit help us witness? Well, first, the Spirit comes to the gathered praying community. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, have you ever wondered, Jesus could have said, okay, I want you to all go split up, go to individual rooms. Because then when the spirit hits, you'll have a whole household right there and we can just, we can disperse and, and get the whole city real quick. He doesn't say that. He tells them to go back to where they were. In other words, to stay together. And you remember what they were doing when they were together. Acts 1.14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And, and I I want you to pay attention to this because this is, a, this is different than the way we Westerners normally think of being filled with the Spirit. What I want you to see here is that in the New Testament, the church is filled with the Spirit. Now, of course, the believer is too, but they thought about it communally. Uh, they wouldn't have understood the filling as individualistically as, as we do. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 5.18, when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, he uses a plural verb. He's saying, you, the community of believers, be filled with the Spirit. Now, why would Paul talk to the whole community about being filled with the Spirit? Well, it's because God had revealed to him that the people of God are now the temple of God, and the temple of God is where the Spirit of God dwells. Ephesians 2, verse 22, the church is a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So everyone in the ancient world was familiar with the idea of God's presence or the divinity uh, filling a temple. And they could point to their temple. And the Christians could also point to the temple, but it wasn't to a building. It was to the, the gathered community. So on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit fills the temple of the gathered church together, and they witness. They witness together out of that communal filling. Now, I, I wonder if one of the reasons we struggle with witnessing is because we think of it as something I have to do by myself. Uh, it's something, it, it's all on me. 
It's me and the guy on the airplane. It's me and my neighbor, whatever. And of course, there's a dimension in which that's true. But what if we started to think of witnessing as something we do together as a community? Now, as Andrew talked about in the announcements, a big part of what the church is, is the smaller gatherings that make up the church during the week. And you remember, we talked about witnessing in the first sermon as being both proclaiming with word Christ, but also caring for others, caring for the vulnerable. So what would happen if maybe in our smaller gatherings, or maybe you and a, your prayer partner, or you and a friend, um, what, if, what if you started to serve together and pray that as you are serving, you will have an opportunity to witness? What if we started to witness together? It might be more fun. Well, the next thing that happens, of course, is that the, God fills us with the Holy Spirit. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the disciples are in the upper room. They are praying for the gift of the Spirit. They hear uh, the sound of wind. Uh, wind is a symbol of God's uh, power in, in the Bible. Uh, both in Greek and Hebrew, the word for wind is the same word as the word for spirit. They see fire. Fire is a, is a symbol in the Bible of God's divine presence. Moses meets God in a burning bush. He receives the Torah on Sinai and fire. And so all these symbols of divine presence are, uh, are at work in the room. Luke says they come from heaven. And it all is just kind of enveloping them. They see and feel and hear the presence of God. Now, Pentecost is a one-time unique event. Uh, there's only one time when you go from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. But the filling of the Spirit is not a one-time event. Uh, and just two chapters later, after this dramatic filling of the Spirit at Pentecost, uh, we'll read, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So they were filled again. Paul in Ephesians 1 says that you are sealed with the Spirit. In Ephesians 5, he says, be filled with the Spirit. So we need an ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the old evangelist Dwight Moody used to say that we leak, <laughs> that we, we, we just go through life and the Spirit kind of ebbs out of us. And historically, one of the reasons why we, we have Pentecost is that this is a time every year when we're reminded that we need a fresh filling of the Spirit. Now, here's a, a paragraph from a, a scholar named Wayne Grudem who talks a little bit about the fullness of the Spirit. I thought it was helpful. Someone might object that a person who is already full of the Holy Spirit cannot become more full. If a glass is full of water, no more water can be put into it. But a water glass is a poor analogy for us as real people. 
For God is able to cause us to grow and to be able to contain much more of the Holy Spirit's fullness and power. A better analogy might be a balloon, which can be full of air even though it has little air in it. When more air is blown in, the balloon expands, and in a sense it is more full. So it is with us. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit and at the same time be able to receive much more of the Holy Spirit as well. It was only Jesus himself to whom the Father gave the Spirit without measure. Now, I'm going to stop right now. I'm going to take 30 seconds. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit um, just to maybe show you what your balloon looks like. Maybe however he wants to do it, to just give you a sense of where you are. Uh, with him right now with the Spirit. How full are you of the Spirit? And if you can't do this right now because things are crazy in your house, maybe do it later, but just close your eyes. 30 seconds. Holy Spirit, it's Pentecost. We want your fullness. Please show us what's our balloon look like? What What does our fullness look like? Amen. Well, I, I want to lead you in a prayer now uh, for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Join me. Uh, Holy Spirit, thank you for coming. I love you. I worship you. I trust you. I honor you as Lord. I receive all the work and triumph and Pentecost through which you have come. You have clothed me with power from on high, sealed me in Christ, become my union with the Father and the Son, the Spirit of truth in me, the life of God in me, my counselor, comforter, strength, and guide. I honor you as Lord, and I fully give to you every aspect and dimension of my spirit, soul, and body, my heart, mind, and will, to be filled with you, to walk and step with you in all things. Fill me afresh, Holy Spirit. Restore my union with the Father and the Son. Lead me into all truth. Anoint me for all of my life and walk and calling. And lead me deeper into Jesus today. I receive you with thanks. And I give you total claim to my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when the disciples are filled with the Spirit in the upper room, they experience 
what some would call God's manifest presence. The Puritans called this the thickness of God's presence, you know, tangible phenomena, roaring wind, uh, fire. They talk in another language. And a common question is, is that something that we should expect when we pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, some Christians say, absolutely, yes. Uh, we should seek signs and wonders when the Spirit comes. Uh, these these uh, brothers and sisters believe that speaking in tongues is a distinctive mark of the filling of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, we want the whole package. Uh, some Christians say, absolutely, no. We should not expect signs and wonders when the Spirit comes. Speaking in tongues with a unique uh, experience for a transitional period in the first century, it's not for today. And when, when folks ask me what I think, I, I go back to 1 Corinthians 12, 11, And that's a place where Paul's describing the, the Spirit's work and giving gifts. And uh, I'll read this from the message. All these gifts have a common origin but are handed out one by one by the one Spirit of God. He decides who gets what and when. So I personally, and I know good Christians disagree on this, I don't think the focus should be on the phenomena of the Spirit. I think we pray to be filled with the Spirit. And He's sovereign. He can do whatever He wants to in terms of uh, the tangible or not so tangible. Um, I will say this, I love dramatic uh, experiences with the Holy Spirit. I really do. I feel warm and loved, and I actually miss that part of the Christian life deeply as we're so separated. But as I get older, um, my spiritual life has become quieter and more contemplative. Um, Sometimes I I've worried, uh, is something wrong with that? But just in my own journey, it, it, it doesn't seem to be anything wrong with it. I feel very loved by God and his stillness. Um, but I think all of this is under the sovereignty of the Spirit. Well, now we're ready for the, the third way God fills us with the Spirit. The most important question we can ask about the passage why are they filled with the Spirit? Well, it's, the Spirit empowers us to overcome cross-cultural barriers and share the gospel. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation in heaven. Now, remember it was Pentecost, one of the three great festivals. So many of these Jews would have come from all over the Roman Empire where they were living. But a lot of Jews had actually moved back to Jerusalem to live out their days. So they could have been there too. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? The disciples were from the north, a rural area. Uh, Typically, you're not real educated if you're from Galilee. And so they were saying, these people all of a sudden know all these unique dialects, and, and yet they're rural and uneducated. How could that possibly be? And then Luke gives us this list highlighting the key communities where Jewish people lived across the empire. Um, and they're, they've all come together, all these different cultures. This is a, 
very multicultural scene. They're all Jewish, but remember, they've been, the diaspora has gone on for 500 years. So they've soaked in the culture of their community. So this is a wildly multicultural scene. Uh, the list begins with, with three countries to the east uh, in an area today we know as Iran, uh, Parthians, Medes, Elamites. Then he moves over to Mesopotamia, which we would call modern Iraq and Judea. Then he goes over to modern Turkey, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia. And then down to Egypt, over to Libya and its chief city, Cyrene. Then all the way back up to Rome. So he's kind of made this big loop. Uh, and then he, he kind of throws in at the end the island of, of Crete and Arabia, the desert kingdom south of Palestine. And, 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 so, and so he says that all these diverse people from all these different cultures hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. So the, this humble group of disciples are empowered by the Spirit to tell other people what God has done for them in Christ in a language that they can understand. That's, it's so powerful. And of course, we see here the, the, the summons to global missions that your church has so beautifully obeyed for so many years. We are to go cross-culturally and share the gospel. Now, why does Luke give such a long list and so much detail about all this cross-cultural activity going on? Well, part of it is, you know, at the beginning of a symphony when uh, the conductor will play a little piece from all the rest of the concert. That's what Luke is doing here, because this is essentially what's going to happen in the rest of the book, is that the gospel is going to go all the way around the empire and end up in Rome, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So this is like a, a prophetic foreshadowing, a foretaste of what's to come. It's kind of an introduction. But there's more going on here. Um, He is also reminding us of a very important part of the kingdom of God. Luke is showing us what the kingdom of God looks like when it comes. And when the kingdom comes, there are people in it from every culture, every tongue, every tribe, every race, every neighborhood, every skin color. The gospel brings reconciliation between estranged peoples. We see that all through the New Testament. Here's some examples. Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3, 11. Here, in other words, in the kingdom of God, not out there. Here, there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that the gospel brings people together across race, ethnic, every possible border. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
And then lastly, Revelation 7, 9, God will ultimately form a new humanity from every nation, tribe, people, and language. So do you see what's happening in Pentecost? There is so much going on in in this little story. Um, At one level, it's an invitation to be filled with the Spirit. At another level, it's a summons to cross-cultural mission. At yet a third level, it's a vision for reconciliation. They're all going on in this passage. And I just wanted to take a moment before we end, especially what has gone on uh, this week in our country uh, with the death of George Floyd and uh, just the opportunities to hear uh, people of color describe their pain I I think it's just a moment to reflect on this gospel vision for reconciliation. Um, And I don't think this is about politics at all. It's not what I'm talking about. It's just the, the events of this week and I guess of the whole pandemic have revealed we're just a deeply divided society, especially when it comes to race. And again, I know how to fix that. There can be all sorts of solutions, but I I need to just exhort you here. Every Christian must have a vision for reconciliation. It's not optional because God's vision is that vision. Uh, That's why he gets one of the mighty works that he came for. That's what's going on in the kingdom of God. And we're going to find that it's really hard work. Even in the book of Acts, there's actually a lot about cross-cultural, cross-racial reconciliation in the book of Acts. And it's, it's kind of interesting. It takes seven chapters to get the people of God out of Jerusalem because they want to stay with, they want to stay with their own people. Um, and they don't leave until they're persecuted. We don't naturally go into other tribes to share the gospel. We don't naturally go in and build relationships to form one new community in Christ. Now, I, I have had many conversations this week um, uh, about George Floyd's death. I've had long conversations with some of my black pastor friends. Um, and I think the question we're all asking is, What is a Christian response to racism? If this really is a part of the kingdom vision, if this is something that God is doing, if this is what we're invited into, if this is what happens when the gospel breaks into a culture uh, that that estranged groups are reconciled, I got to be a part of that, right? I mean, this isn't just something that they do down on campus. This is part of the gospel, right? Well, there's no easy answer. Um, I did write a letter to my congregation uh, just identifying four brief ways that we can work towards uh, racial reconciliation. I won't read the letter to you, but here were the the titles, and I can share the letter if you want it. Just start with prayer. You know, if you're just brokenhearted about all this, ask God, what do you want me to do, God? I don't know what to do. Read. Maybe this year, read one book. Uh, from the experience of a person of color, uh, and and I'll 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 just say this: I, I've I teach a course on racial reconciliation, and probably read dozens of books, and 
you know, you might not agree with what you read. You might actually be offended sometimes. I have been. Uh, but it's okay. It's just about learning. Just read some things from a person of color. For Sandy and I, probably the most important book was uh, Isabel Wilkerson's The Warmth of Other Sons. You might start with that one. Then love. Cultivate a long-term friendship with a person of another race. And <laughs> beloved, do not call this week the one black friend you hardly know and say, hey, can you tell me what it's like to be black in America? Please don't. Build a lifelong relationship. And over the years, as trust is built, sometimes your friend will will tell you when you come back from a wonderful trip in Wyoming with your son and son-in-law in Yellowstone National Park, and when I ask my friend why there are no black people in the park, he looks me in the eye and he says, I would never go alone into the woods surrounded by white people. And that led to hours of conversation. And that took years to get to the place where he would share that with me. And honestly, I still don't understand all of it. But really, it's only when you spent years building trust that you get to that level of conversation. And I received an eight-page letter from a dear friend, a person of color whose I see as a mentor this week, and it stung and it hurt. And I read it again and again, and I prayed about it, and I fasted about it, and we talked about it. And I'm really glad he's my friend because I'm never going to get there watching the news. Well, and then last, act. Racism grows in the bitter soil of the broken systems and structures of our community. So find small ways to seek the peace of our city so that our community can be a place where everyone feels safe and flourishes. Well, let's go back to where we began. The gift of the Spirit empowers us to build relationships, to speak in a language across cultures and declare the works of God. You know, one of the things that occurs to me is maybe we don't experience the Spirit in our churches and in our personal life because we've forgotten the purpose for which the Spirit comes. Maybe, and I see myself in this, we've become like the author I mentioned in the beginning. We just kind of think it's rude to witness. And that's quietly dropped out of our practice over the years. And we just focus on respect and tolerance, which we should. But is it any wonder that I do not feel 
or experience much of the power of the Holy Spirit, when I have no interest at all in doing the very thing the Spirit came to equip me to do. So one of the things that you might come out of this sermon with and this Pentecost with is, God, I don't know how to witness. I don't know how to cross cultural barriers. I don't know how to make a lifelong friendship with someone from another culture. There's no one in my neighborhood that looks different than me. Well, ask the Spirit. He'll show you what to do. Well, let's end by just the last verse. All were amazed and perplexed. They said, what does this mean? Others said, ah, they're just filled with new wine. (laughs) Some people respond to the gospel, want to know more. Others think it's a joke. If that happened on the day of Pentecost, (laughs) it's going to happen with us. Either way, our job is to be filled with the Spirit and give witness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, when when we had a moment to, to pray about what kind of balloon our life might be as an image for the Spirit. I just, I just had the sense that a, a lot of us are a little deflated, um, that there's a lot of things like, like what we've gone through this week that just kind of prick the balloon and we get cut up in frustration and anger and hurt. And we just kind of leak. So, Lord, uh, we, we, we can't do any of this without your Spirit. Would you heal the places where we've been pricked? Would you patch the places that are leaking? Especially this week. Lord, we had 100,000 deaths this week. All this terrible tragedy with George Floyd. And it's just been a hard week. Would you heal heal us so that we could hold, (laughs) we could hold the wind of the Spirit? And Lord, as this precious church prepares for a new senior pastor and comes through this grueling pandemic season, would you even now be filling that man with your spirit in a, in a tangible way, and giving him vision, healing him? And when this church comes back together again, both this week and all together later, May may they have a fresh Pentecost. And may the balloons just be filled to bursting. 
ask all of this hopefully expectantly in the name of your son. Amen.